listening to GNT, the podcast from political blog, The Groucho Tendency. At some point, we all seem to decide that New Year's were a time to forget. To forget the last 12 months, to forget the heavy eating, the heavy drinking, the heavy boozing, the heavy socialising we did over Christmas. To forget our failings to meet New Year's resolutions, promises made to ourselves 12 months before. To forget a year like 2020 would be so very tempting. But I don't think we should forget the year that's just gone by, not least of all, because we're still living with the consequences of what happened in that year. Whether it's the COVID-19 pandemic or Joe Biden's election to the White House, 2021 has reminded us of the importance, not just of continuity, but remembering what has gone before. So the New Year's resolution on this podcast, for this blog, for me and for Liam, is we're going to keep talking about the issues that are important in the next 12 months and looking back as well as forward. Hello and welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from the Groucho Tendency. My name is Mike Indian and I am joined by the Nostradamus of North London himself. It is, of course, Mr. Liam Kay. Happy New Year, Liam. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. And Happy New Year too. This is the first time we've actually had a proper chat since uh, before Christmas. And it's to say that we've got a lot to talk about is is an understatement, but we're going to focus this time around. We're going to do something we've been promising to do for a long time now, probably overdue, and actually focus on what's happening over in the United States of America. And I'm well aware of the irony of two English guys sitting in Leicestershire and London, respectively, talking about what's happening thousands of miles away. But I don't know if any of you have read the blog I put out on the Graduate Tendency this week. The lessons that we saw from... Uh, the riots at the Capitol building a few days before we record this for me have been the culmination or a symptom of a growing disaffection with democracy that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years, arguably probably even longer than that. It's not just about Donald Trump or COVID-19 or about Joe Biden, but we're going to talk about what's happening in America today because it really does feel like whilst we we should be looking forward to the next four years with a certain degree of apprehension, we mustn't forget what's happened in the previous four as well. So Liam, as the 20th of January approaches and the end of the Donald Trump era looms, is this something we can move on from quickly? Um, well, I, I, I think it, it's very difficult to say that Trumpism as a, as a concept, I think, will be will be gone uh just at the sort of like the wave of a hand i i do think i do think um following uh the events at capitol hill um around, around about a week ago now i think but um in in beginning of january um i i it would deeply surprise me if donald trump has the ability to i think resuscitate his political career from there 
However, that being said, you know, you only have to look at uh, the support he's had within the Republican Party. Um, you know, on his frankly bogus claims that the election was stolen from him. Um, you, you know, the fact that so many uh, congressmen, congresswomen, and so many sorts, you know, senators, uh, even even like one or two, I think it's too many, to be honest, who have been willing to go go ahead with it and um, go along with it. And you know, the thing with the thing with Trump is his election defeat still brought out a huge number of people, and a lot of people who also did not vote in previous elections uh to specifically vote for him and it's difficult to see how the uh, sort of like how pandora's box uh can be sort of you know closed uh once it has been um sort of you know forced open as it has been in the last sort of four years um that being said i wonder if the future of trumpism will be either a fringe element within the Republican Party, you know, similar to the Tea Party, um, or whether it will become, you know, something quite sort of separate almost, I think, from the Republicans themselves. Uh, you know, I, th- I think in many respects, the interesting thing is to see whether Republicans uh, go from here, whether they become the Trumpist party or whether they uh, decide to change tact. Yes, the um the riots we saw outside the U.S. Capitol building on the day of the certification, the final stage of November's presidential election, in which Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were formally declared as president-elect and vice president-elect, respectively, really did feel like the culmination of a a bitterly fought and rather divided campaign. For those of you who may feel like this is ancient history, given the fact that here in Britain we've been through, we're now into our third national lockdown. We've had Christmas and numerous U-turns by the government and good news about vaccinations being rolled out. The uh, America's election was a remarkable um, feature in the political landscape for last year, not just for the fact that both uh, candidates po- uh, polled the highest two highest numbers of votes ever, Joe Biden at 81 million, Donald Trump at 74 million, but also for the turnout was at a 120-year high as well. We've talked about this previously, about how Trumpism and Trump himself picked up 8 million more votes and Biden picked up 11 million more and then went on to secure another 8 million more votes over Trump nationally in the Electoral College victory that exactly mirrored Donald Trump's uh, triumph at four years ago and a triumph it was for him because he subverted expectations and was able to win the presidency against odds that assumed that he couldn't do it. So the final stage of the certification process on Wednesday was disrupted by the president who has been making consistent claims since November's election that it was stolen in some form, that it was misinterpreted, taken from him, claiming he won a landslide when he actually didn't. And it has to be said again and again and again. It cannot be said enough. There is no evidence to support these assertions. But Liam, what was the, these charges that have been leveled against Trump of inciting the riot, is this a fair claim we can make about his actions? Or is it something that simply got out of hand and escalated? Um, well, I mean, you know, f- frankly, if you have a huge 
rally and demonstration outside the Capitol building, um, calling for the results to essentially be thrown out of a democratic election, and then exhort your supporters to go to the Capitol building and let them know essentially what their views are. Um, I think it's hard to see how, I mean, I think you have to, you would have to be very charitable to say that there was absolutely nothing, um, remotely sort of malicious in doing that. I, 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 I think, you know, what 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 does he ex what 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 is he expecting to happen by sending telling thousands of people to go up to the Congress, um, especially you know people who have got weapons, uh, as has been seen. I mean, there were two pipe bombs found outside the DNC and the RNC, um, you know, the, the headquarters of the two main parties, um, you know, there were some frankly sort of you know sort of chilling instances i think of people who had i think almost certainly turned up with the hope that they would have a chance of um you know being able to attack uh an, any number of senior politicians that they didn't like in in washington in washington dc um and you know i think it's i think it's very very difficult to say that you know the you know the the pre, the, pre, the president the very the if you were being very charitable you could say it was deeply irresponsible um more charitable than i would be perhaps you're probably too charitable even in that assessment one of the interesting things has been for me is that we have this uh firstly quite insidious element of a a democratically elected leader, because whatever you say about Donald Trump, he was elected through a democratic process. You may not have commanded the majority of votes, but he was the legitimate winner of that election. The incumbent of the head of state of the world's foremost democracy, effectively, if not in directly inciting, certainly encouraging a large number of his supporters to march to the capital to, to disrupt the established precedents of democracy. But also for me, the the confusion of the establishment response to Trump. We've seen talk about removing him from office in this. Twitter have banned his account permanently, removing his bully pulpit of 85 million followers. We saw this almost sort of staged defiance by Congress wanting to carry on the certification of the process in line with the Constitution. But it struck me that although this attitude, for those of us who believe in democratic ideals and believe passionate representative democracy is, is the best system for running our country is, was defined to those people outside it would be strike them also as thumbing their nose and meaningless and the number that always sticks with me that, that although the u.s election had the highest turnout for 150 years one in three of the american electorate still did not vote donald trump and joe biden carried roughly the same number of states each around 25 and there was only given the fact the population of the US is about 300 million people, less than two million, uh, 10 million votes separating the two people. So this is, this is on the face of it, and if you drill down into the figures, a deeply divided country. And at what point, Liam, do these rituals of democracy, these, you know, these emblems that claim to represent the people, the Senate, the House, and the certification of the presidential ballot, to what point do they become meaningless? If we can have roughly a third of the countries voted for Biden, 
Roughly a third of the countries voted for Trump and a third haven't voted at all. It's a similar problem to what we have with Brexit, isn't it? I, I, I think, I mean, I, in, in many respects, I mean, sort of, you know, Brexit, it was a 80-something percent turnout. Um, so I actually do think we got I mean, got the actual views of the country um, on Brexit. I, th- I think there's sort of, you know, very many issues with that referendum. But, um, yeah, I... I I think the problem that you get with American politics is, quite frankly, it is so, so um, divided. Um, You know, it's a two-party system, which, you know, for as much as people keep focusing on the Conservatives and Labour, it is not a two-party system uh, in the UK. And um, we've kind of sort of reached a situation, I think, in the US where there's just so much... Um, so much hatred between the two sides that it's it, it's starting to get to the point where you wonder whether sort of you know that is the biggest bigger threat to democracy than anything um, else that's out there. I mean, yeah, I was I was I've been reading recently um sort of Barack Obama's uh memoirs um of his time in office uh sort of you know a promised land and. I think what strikes you sort of like throughout, I mean, among other things, um, is just how sort of even the the smallest sort of policy changes were just sort of so vehemently um, opposed by the Republicans to the to the extent that you know there was. There was very little, I think, you know, the fact that Obama managed to get so much actually passed through um, was sort of down to him having Congress and Senate for, for um, you know, for for a couple couple years, and it's, you know, I I think they I think the the system in the US I think works brilliantly if you do not have those two competing sides that are just sort of, sort of so opposed to one another that they will just not work together um you know this you know even even sort of 15 years ago 10 years ago you know 15 20 years ago people would have i think been prepared to sort of you know cross the aisle and vote a lot more together um, you still do get that somewhat um, in in Congress and the Senate, but it, it's starting to get, you know, ever more rare. And you know, you've got a you've got a politicized court system. You have a you know just such difficulty in that. Essentially, the public needs to give you a very very strong mandate the beginning of your presidency like has been handed to um, Joe Biden with the the two victories in Georgia um uh sort of uh, earlier this month that un- unless you have that it's i mean it's hard to see how you make any substantial reforms um foreign policy i think is sort of like you know you you see more about what a president's probably like in their foreign policy than you do in their domestic simply because there is starting to get to the point where there's considerably little scope actually to do major reform if you don't 
have control of um, the legislative branch as well as the executive. I see. I worry about the the, the appetite of the Biden administration, the Biden Harris administration, for radical political reform and. Joe Biden has been hailed as somebody, particularly by people in the liberal media, as someone who can cool the temperature of American politics and to perhaps bring all sides back to the table. But I can't help but feel that the people he's dealing with in Washington, looking at the ages of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and on the other side, Mitch McConnell, are all of an outgoing, outdated political class now. That this sort of call for bipartisanship, this consensus politics, which, to be fair, the graduate tendency has pretty much championed in sort of our belief in centrism for the last 10 years or so we've been going, it has, to me, become increasingly outdated. And I, I do agree with you that although divisions between the two main parties have been increasingly bad and deep and that cross aisle cooperation is something we want to see a return of that to me feels just like a sticking plaster because at the bottom of both parties or at the side of both parties we have the fringe elements becoming increasingly agitated in the democrats it's the pressure from aoc the squad bernie sanders in younger voters in particularly uh, more poorer urban areas pressing on them as well stacey abrams too on the republican side we have donald trump whipping up this fanatically loyal base into a fervor where he can command them to march on the symbol of American democracy in inverted commas, symbol in inverted commas, I should say. So I think there are three sides to this in this debate now. There, there are the Democrats and the Republicans as they traditionally stand, but there's also the anti-establishmentism that both parties are struggling to contend with. And the political leaders at the top for both sides are both, with the exception of Trump, of a particular political persuasion. And unless you're riding that populist wave, I don't think you're riding the, the forces that are going to be shaping those parties for the next five to ten years. I'm slightly, I'm slightly sort of, I would question it almost. I think, I think, in many respects, um, you know, with the Capitol Hill demonstration, um, you know, if you look at the demographics of the U.S. I think it's sort of becoming increasingly clear that actually, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats do need to change. Um, and, you know, this is this is one of those things is sort of, you know, the demographics, I think, will push um, the parties in the directions that they are needed to go. You know, the Democrats are quickly finding out that in order to win an election, they need to manage to keep um, as much of the Rust Belt intact and try and take as much of the Sun Belt as possible. And the Republicans are finding, you know, the opposite. And, you know, whether that will start toning things down, I mean, you know, in many respects, you look at you look at Donald Trump as a candidate. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can say too many times that he was a celebrity billionaire. Um, you know, how many- clearly, clearly, you, clearly, you can for some people, but I agree with you. It, the point needs drumming home. I feel. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, how many celebrity billionaires can the Republicans get to run the party and be so, <laughs> and can, be, can be so like the, the the thing with the thing with Donald Trump is you know, an election happens, people understand exactly uh, who he is. They know him as the person off, um, you know, off The Apprentice, you know, the man who can get a deal, that sort of thing. That reputation, he never had to sort of sow, he never had to build a reputation for himself. He never had to kind of set out who he was as an image. Um, 
did he win that election simply because people had had a very very difficult few years following on from the 2008 recession uh, that had sort of, you know continued over a substantial amount of time um and felt that somebody who was you know obviously successful looking um obviously wealthy and had cultivated a sort of you know art of the deal persona um you know was that why they voted for him rather than his uh, his his sort of immigration policy politics policies you know i i th- i think was it the success more than the um, america first agenda that drew people to him still draws people to him do you think yeah i mean i i think i think there is there is something in that is that i think you know a lot he has a great deal of personal charisma too it has to be said like he is a compelling and interesting and engaging performer as well to give him his dues you know we we would be would be doing him a disservice if we didn't acknowledge that and you know it's 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 one of those it's one of those things of you know have a substantial number of people have come out to vote for him this time were these the people that are perhaps attracted by that um sort of you know more um you know, right wing, um, you know, quite far left, right wing sort of rhetoric, um, and that persona. But you know, has it also put enough people to go into the the Joe Biden camp of, you know, this is um, this this is the thing with Trump is in many respects, twenty sixteen was sort of you know a perfect storm. Um, we weren't quite far enough removed from two thousand and eight to have seen, um, it the sort of, you know the benefits of uh, sort of you know obama's um you know resuscitation of the uh the um yeah so you know to come to come to full fruition um and he was up against uh somebody who was uh, notoriously unpopular um in you know us society um you know, rightly or wrongly, it was you know a fact a, a, a fact that she was deeply unpopular, um, and you know I I I think in many respects, like the twenty twenty election is possibly a a a sort of you know a lesson in a way in that um, you know Trumpism yeah he's very good at riding his base and getting his base out uh, to vote for him. Uh, is he that good at actually cutting across um, society and, you know, attracting voters to him? I don't think so. I mean, but that's never been his aim, though, has it? Let's be fair now. The the the, the people the people that 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 uh, that have really been successful in established democracies in the last few years. And I'm talking here about you know broadly speaking populist right wing movements here. Yeah, the, the kind of forces behind Brexit, Nigel Farage, the Brexit Party, Vote Leave over here, Donald Trump, the AFD in Germany, National Front in France, have recognised that there is a section of people in society that they don't need to command a majority support. They need a vocal minority behind them. But it's whether or not that can actually cut through. I mean, in a lot, a lot of the countries around the world, it it actually hasn't. I mean, it hasn't. You know, like the AfD in Germany uh, hasn't run the country. Um, you know, the National Front in um, France, uh, you know, hasn't has has managed to get into the runoffs, but has never ever managed to 
actually get a majority of people to vote for them. And, you know, uh, I, th- I think in America, I mean, the difference has been that um, there has been a taking over of a major political party in a two-party system, which has sort of, yeah, in many in many respects, the the, the Trump the the shock of Trump was actually getting the nomination. Once he was in place, once he was in place, um, you look at through American politics, and presidents tend to get get tend to get a full eight years um, unless they are deemed incompetent, and uh, tend to um, hand over to somebody from the other party unless that candidate is deemed incompetent, um, and. You know, it was. I think it was always. You know, I, I, I think in many respects the the Republicans have to have a look and say, do they want to be a party of sort of a minority of Americans, a sort of a dwindling minority? It should be said. Um, do they want to sort of you know lose out on sort of like millions of people? around uh the country um or do they want to uh, i I suppose sort of reach out i mean you know you know you look at the conservative party in the uk um it has never ever ever been shy of changing its course and its policies in order to um attract new voters from new generations and stay in power yes and the Republicans are you have... listening, Labour? Well, yes, well, yes. And I, so you know, it, it that's that's just what parties have to do if they want to survive. If they do not, then something else will come to replace them. Um, I think, in many res- many ways, Trump's next move, and I think it will be outside of politics, especially if it's a, a sort of a Trump TV or Trump News sort of organization is created. Um, I think that possibly therein possibly lies the big challenge for the for the Republicans is uh, do they do they accept and sort of like lean into that or you know does the presidency become something where it's more of a three or four party system where you have you know perhaps two centrists and you know uh, two more radical candidates on the right or the left. Um, it is it's very it's very difficult to tell um i i think you know you look at the last four years i think the things that should be borne in mind is that an individual president as has has been seen uh, repeatedly throughout american history has far less power than uh, they often think that they do um and certainly less power than uh, sort of like a prime minister would um, and that the sort of you know the the genuine the general sort of you know core um, sort of democratic institutions that have been sort of you know created throughout American history are actually quite robust. Um, well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, I, I I I am I'll be honest, I I am less certain about that as of this week. I I I I'm worried about. Not just American democracy, but representative democracies around the world, given the trend towards, um, given the right wing populism and also left wing populism as well. We can't just lay this solely at the feet of the right that has seen pe- people declining voter turnout and people becoming angry and frustrated with their elected representatives. We really have to ask ourselves the question of how we want to be governed. But I-, I agree with you, certainly in this country, in the UK, our institutions bore the brunt of Brexit. But 
to me, I feel there's still a reckoning to be had in the next decade or so. You know, this does feel like we're facing a crisis of sort of Weimar Republic level stuff. You know, democracies can fail, and the the veneer between um, civility and order is always very thin. It's always a very it's always tacit consent that is the key component of that, and more and more people want want to withdraw that. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I I I think there's certainly challenges. I think there's certainly challenges, but um, you know. I think it's worth bearing in mind that the that most most sort of like established democracies have had these tests before, um, and you know I think you know I, I I think the key thing has always been that democracies are relatively nimble at times in reflecting reflecting the public's views and. You know, I think this is. I think they. Of... I think they used to be. I. I honestly feel now that they have become cumbersome and unable to respond to the the increasing frustration. And we saw this with Brexit. We've seen it with Trump. We've seen it with the AfD. In, you know, in in Germany, we saw it with the National Front as well. That the kinds of the kinds of challenges that people responded to before democracies were nearly always existential threats. So we're talking about war here. We're talking about you know, certainly with the Britain and America, we tend to view ourselves as mature, established democracies, forgetting that historically the mass enfranchisement of voters is little over a hundred years old. Certainly, if you count the the vote, votes of women and the ideals on which democracy is based, go back only a couple hundred years beyond that. Although we can argue about, you know, the classical origin. For most of history, we have resorted to authoritarian, strong forms of government that give certainty and strength above freedom and liberty, and to me, those those freedoms and those liberties are hard won. We need to argue and protect them. And you know, people argue that they are disincentivized to vote for a democratic system. You have to say to them, what would you want to have instead? Do you want to feel safe and certain and strong? That's fine, but you are going to have a less free, less varied, less worthwhile living life, in my opinion. And the fact that although we have seen some pretty shocking things for Donald Trump, the fact that the halls of Congress were breached, really, you know, they were walking and shouting, this is their house. If that, God, God, if that's how they treat their house in terms of trashing it, then my God, I'd hate to see what their properties at home look like. The endemic lack of trust in representative democracy, Liam, is something that has me profoundly concerned as we enter this third decade of the 21st century. And the lessons which we can draw from the, from Donald Trump's presence, I think, will be instructive in terms of how we can respond to that. With that in mind, keeping the last four years in our heads and in our hearts, what do you feel we can take away from the presidency of Donald J. Trump, both good and bad? Well, um, I mean, there's there's a there's a long list of bad. Um, I think. <laughs> so, uh, let's start with the good things first, and what things you think have, you know you can say we can credit him with. Um, I I think, I th- I think one thing actually you can credit him with. And you know, is I think there has been a an increased recognition by the U.S. Um, of the risks of a China-dominated world. Um, certainly for um, certainly for democracies around around the world as well. Um, and uh, you know, the, the, I th- I think it, it would be extremely surprising if uh, Joe Biden decided to do some sort of you know great nixon moment and go to beijing and declare 
sort of you know uh, the end of the, the end of the um you know the, the warming of sort of you know uh us china relations oh if um, only <laughs> i don't think china's in that mood either to be fair though so no i i, I do not i mean i i think i think the us the us will have to be considerably more nimble than um the trump government was uh, in combating that threat, but you know, I, I think in, in credit to him, um, or in certainly in credit to his 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 government more generally, um, it has been recognised that that China does pose a, a threat to um, sort of you know long standing you know the world order as it stands. Uh, so you know whether or not you think that's a, a good or a bad thing, uh, mm. <laughs> sort of like the world order. <laughs> It's uh, a different question for a, a different time, I think. But um, it's, you know, I, th- I think there has been that, um, you know, in the domestic policy. Um, you know, it's the tax cut was a was it was a, was an impressive achievement. We have to be said whatever, whatever your view of its rights or wrongs, passing a tax cut of that degree of magnitude. Um, particularly that benefited the richest so well, but whilst passing off as a slave would benefit everyone was a was a substantial political. The North Korea summits, I think, as well. We have to indicate, you know, whatever you say with Trump, he did have a flair for that kind of staging of event that led to sort of not a rapprochement, but kind of things that no other president could have achieved in that sense, whether or not they have lasting achievements or not, it's questionable. But the spectacle of it was amazing. Yeah, I think I think you know, econ- economically, I think you know he can be given sort of some credit for um, continuation of um, you know the, the Obama recovery, yeah. Obama, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's very it's very very difficult to tell with the economy in many respects because yeah, because the of COVID, I mean, impact yeah. is going to be from the pandemic rather than any sort of you know changes before. No, um, quite so agree. Yeah, in 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 many respects, we I think the the question will always be. I think you know some will say that the you know the Trump presidency you know created a lot of jobs, did very well with the economy. Whether or not that would have been a short term, you know, uh, increase with you know more medium to long term damage to the economy from um, his sort of you know his his program. Of uh, sort of you know economic reforms, I think it's 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 pretty much out the window, really. And, and and one one more point of praise, I think we have to say that Trump's um has has read the the root of the American people correctly when it comes to involvement in foreign wars. You know his long standing um, opposition to involvement in you know committing the U.S. troops overseas was certainly something that was popular and read the room in terms of what he wanted to achieve whether or not he actually stuck to that or not but that kind of pronouncement carried a lot of weight i feel than something that very much chimed with it's an, an odd thread linking him and obama and also an unconventional form of diplomacy he wasn't he was quite prepared to stand with people who other people may have seen as pariahs whether you see that as a good or a bad thing the flaws i feel are are manifest. I don't think we need to rehearse the failings of the Trump presidency. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it's worth too, worth too widely worth yeah. pointing out a, a, a few. Sort of a very few. We 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 we've got five minutes left, so let's let's just confine yourself to three quickly. The three biggest failings of the Trump presidency, because I think we 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 both acknowledge that he has been a a fairly well a, a disastrous president on so many levels as well, despite of the successes he has achieved, sporadic successes. Um, if I had to just pick three, I mean, COVID, I think, is a very obvious one. Uh, the complete mishandling of 
pretty much every aspect of the uh, pandemic by the Trump um, sort of, you know, by Trump. It's just, it's, it's, it's you know, shocking, I think. Yeah, nearly, nearly 400,000 deaths from COVID in America as Trump leaves office in t- nearly 22 million cases. And, you know, you also look at um, his relationships with longstanding allies abroad. I think I don't think the US has ever been in a weaker situation uh, with as such little respect, actually, from sort of, you know, established nations. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at like, you know, a lot of European countries will be very aware that they may have to start preparing for a world in which, you know, American power isn't going to necessarily be there. Um you know, to pr- protect sort of, you know, the European status quo. And I, I think you will probably see, um, you know, changes uh, in, in that respect as a regard. But, I, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, and in, and in many respects, his treatment of just democratic norms in the US and um, his attitudes to sort of, you know, journalists, to uh, other politicians, um, I think it has repeatedly shown a a sort of a complete disregard of like anybody who you know he's he's somebody who I don't think is used to not getting his own way, and I think that has repeatedly shown whenever people have you know opposed him or even just asked him questions. Uh, it doesn't even need to be necessarily difficult either. I think. But you know, I I think those three things um, in particular, I think, will most probably be his um, sort of you know his biggest biggest legacies in many respects. One thing we can't um, ignore, though, is that although Donald Trump will be leaving office on the twentieth of January, it's hard to see that Trumpism itself or the phenomenon that Trump catapulted to the highest. Um, uh, office in the land and to be leader of the free world will fade overnight. He was somebody who, like uh, many other people around the world in establishing democracies, has sought to exploit like an invasive cancerous force, increasing cynicism and disaffection, Many of it, much of it understandable with our political systems, institutions and ideals. But the authoritarianism of which Donald Trump sought to aspire to, the debasement of the truth and the lack of integrity with which he behaved and the complete selfishness with which he pursued power mean that no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, he cannot be a leader to be emulated. If you feel like listening to this, that Trump has represented your interests over the last four years, then that's fair enough. You're entitled to your opinion. But I have to say that I really ask yourself how, apart from making you feel better about yourself and agreeing with certain views, has Trump actually made a meaningful impact on your life? True things in politics, true people that make an impact, look for tangible impacts, look for measures that make people's lives better. That is, as Tony Blair said, politics is the arena of great things where they're possible. Donald Trump has been about the spectacle and not about the effect. With Joe Biden coming into office in only a few days' time, he has a particularly unenviable challenge um, ahead of him in the sense that he is an old man who has to pull together an increasingly divided country. But there's also hope for the future as well. So, Liam, with that in mind, for a final thought for this podcast, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Um, In in the US or generally? (laughs) In general. In general. Um, in general, um, hopefully the end of a pandemic. Uh, and, um, <laughs> Should have seen that coming. Yes, yes. I mean, sort of like I, I, I think um, 
you know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to actually to talk like, on a slightly separate point is there's a, a huge, major, major climate summit uh, towards the end of this year. COP26 is coming, yep. Yeah, yep. in Glasgow. And I I sincerely hope that um, that is the moment where major countries of all stripes uh, r- take real action um, on climate change and make the changes that are needed. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that. And uh, if if it doesn't happen, then I suppose <laughs> I suppose I know what the biggest disappointment for my year. Will be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be sitting here in 2022, and you're going, "It hasn't happened, Mike. I'm really disappointed." Oh, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you for reminding us, Liam, that there are bigger challenges ahead of us than just the pettiness of politics as well. Dear listener, thank you for coming back to us in this new year. I should give a special mention to a dear friend of mine, Payman, who told me over Christmas that he listened on all of our podcasts as he travelled from Truro to London. All I can say is I feel sorry for you having to be stuck in the car for eight hours with nothing but my voice to keep you company and Liam's tones to relieve the utter tedium of my pronouncements as well. However you spend your Christmas, listener, however you're feeling for the year ahead, I hope 2021 brings you the happiness joy and some pleasures that so many of us were denied last year and it's going to be a brighter and more successful year for us all happy new year and we'll be here with you what happens whatever see you soon